You are listening to weekly messages from Austin Christian Fellowship. For more information about ACF, visit acfellowship.org. Well, greetings, everybody. Um, I pray you're well as soon as you, there you go. Uh, my name is Will Davis, Jr. Welcome to Austin Christian Fellowship. Can we thank our worship team for doing that yet again? Greetings to everybody online. Uh, we love you guys online. Come join us. There's something that happens here that I don't think you get in your living room. No offense to your living room, but it's just different. And uh, come join us. There's, there's some really sweet stuff that happens here when we're together. We'd love to have you. Uh, if you need to know more, know more about Austin Christian Fellowship, there is a slide behind me. or It's going to be in just a moment with a QR code you can scan or a number you can send a text to. And we'd love to hear more about how we can serve you. We don't knock on doors. We don't uh, solicit uh, we'll honor where you are in process. We have a lot of people that come to ACF that aren't necessarily following Christ yet, and that's cool. And we try to honor that process. So wherever you are, seasoned Christian follower, brand new, not sure, it doesn't matter. You're welcome here, but, but community helps. Um, so let us help you with that. If you need a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Will you raise your hand? We have Bibles that we give away every week, and they're in Espanol and in English as well. Just raise your hand and we'll get you one. Yes, uh, yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> we're not selling them. We're just giving them away, okay? Um, anyway, a little kerfuffle here going on in the house this morning. Um, shout out to the Vandergriff State Champion Marching Band and Dance Team. Man. Seems like every weekend I have a Vandergriff shout out, which I need to do, which is kind of cool. And for this next one, I need a bit of your participation. So just for, for 30 seconds, can everybody stand, please? Does everybody stand up? Now, will you remain standing unless you're an active military or veteran? Will you please have a seat? Can our vets please sit down and our active military please sit down? Okay. Can we thank these heroes around us for what they do? They are amazing. And they're here. They're in the room. We bless you guys. It's Veterans Day weekend, and we love you, and thank you so much for serving. Okay, y'all have a seat. Uh, I, don't, I ran into a guy in the airport the other day that had a Vietnam cap on, and I just walked up and said, I don't get it. I don't understand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, let me just encourage you, never let someone in uniform, doesn't matter what the uniform is, pay for a meal. Okay, you see them buy their meals. They're, they're, they go to work every day and sometimes risk their lives just going to work. And uh, we don't know the baggage and scars they carry. So just, when, you never, when you see somebody out in a restaurant and they're in a uniform, just buy their meal. Um, it's worth it. Okay, uh, Matthew, the fifth chapter. We are in the next to last week. This has been some series. Um, this has been amazing. A series called Counter Culture. We're going to kind of start the conclusion of the series today and, and finish it next week. Um, today we look at the final beatitude, which I'll get to in just a minute. Um, next week we're going to go back to the beginning of the beatitudes and kind of sum up the series and have what I call an invitation to a kingdom lifestyle. So next week we'll try to put a bow on the beatitudes, what we've learned together, and invite you to think about going up the mountain with Jesus as his disciple, and seeing and feeling what that looks like. Uh, before I read the text, let me pray. 
Uh, Father, I want to thank you for the day and the weekend and the veterans and the active military in the house and online. Um, just the people that just serve by, by calling and by living, and we're grateful for them. Um, I pray for the folks online and that they'll feel your presence as we walk through this together. I pray, pray for churches all over the great city of Austin today that they'll know your presence and your power and that worship leaders will be anointed and teachers will be, teach well and that churches will be full of your spirit. I pray for the church in our country to be salt and light and to be peacemakers. Thank you for what you taught us in the last few weeks. I've been so humbled, God, by this series. It's been so um, relevant and ouchy at times, but good, Lord, your word. Just a few verses, just a few statements from Jesus have rocked our worlds. So thank you. I pray um, for this final verse that you'll anoint me as I teach on it and make us open to the promptings of your spirit as we listen to it. And I pray it in your name, Lord. Amen. Okay, Matthew 5, verse 1. Hope these words are rather familiar to you by now. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, because they'll receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the sons and daughters, children of God. In verse 10 through 12, today's text, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That last phrase repeats verse 3. It's the official bookend of the Beatitudes and concludes them. But verses 11 and 12 are worth noting. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you're new with us this weekend online... Um, couple of just quick notes. You might want to go back in your, all your spare time and listen to the first uh, eight Beatitudes. As we've, as we've noted, they're progressive. They're not standalone, independent shots across the bow of Jesus to us, but rather they're, they build. They're, the, the, the poverty of spirit in verse 3 leads to the mourning and comfort in verse 4, which leads to gentleness and hungering, thirsting for righteousness. They build. And we came to a bit of a crescendo last week when we've been talking really the last two weeks about peacemaking. That once you have the kingdom perspective and the kingdom mindset and you've been given, you've inherited the earth and you've got a pure heart toward people and toward God, then peacemaking, the pursuit of shalom for other people becomes inevitable. You, you can no longer sit quietly on the secret of the kingdom. 
You have to share it. And in that effort to bring peace to people's lives by speaking the truth in love, not by compromise, but by speaking the truth in love, we've said for three weeks now that Jesus did not come negotiating the kingdom. He claimed declaring the kingdom. And he led with repent. He said, repent. The kingdom's here. Change. Change. The kingdom's here. Everybody has to adjust to see the kingdom. Then he presents this final beatitude, which again, some of these are so countercultural, it's just and, and oxymoronic, blessed and persecuted in the same sentence. Really? He ends the beatitudes officially with this one that is the fruit or the result of trying to make peace. You're persecuted sometimes. Now, it feels a bit comical to me <laughs> to be standing in front of you in this country talking about persecution. We don't know anything about it, and I'm glad. It's a real thing, and it's been a real thing throughout the centuries, but what I'm going to talk about today is persecution in this culture. Is, is, it's, it, when you're in it, you feel it, but friends, we need to be very humbled today by what brothers and sisters around the globe experience on a regular basis that really is persecution. In fact, I read a, a Forbes magazine this week article this week that said that is, since we've been recording religious persecution, and specifically Christian persecution, this is the, high, there are the, the highest number of people around the planet facing significant persecution for their faith than in recorded history. Now, that's been a lot of persecution in history. But it's, it's at a crescendo moment right now, including Muslims, persecution of Muslims and other religions, but Christianity is still the leading, most persecuted religion on the planet. And in places like what we call the 1040 window, which are primarily Islamic states that are hostile uh, toward Christianity, any atheistic government that is hostile toward any religion, places like Somalia, places like Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Syria, the persecution is real. And it's not like you get, you get outed on Facebook. It's like you could lose your life for it. You could be tortured for it. And I'm not trying to, to you know, give us a buzzkill this morning, but when we talk about persecution here, it needs an asterisk. Because what, what, is, what G- Jesus spoke to a crowd that was in an occupied territory, remember? The Romans had occupied their land. And they got it. So let's, let's just, I'm going to put that out there that I'm going to talk about it, but it really is a bit of a cultural conditioning for us because the day, the day may change when there's more at stake for us as Christ followers. But globally, it's, we're, pretty, we're on the pretty easy end of things. And you just need to know that. And you need to pray for your brothers and sisters around the globe who aren't on the easy end of things because they, they really, it is serious for them. In, semin- in, in, other pla- in places like China and other places, seminaries con- prison is considered seminary. You really aren't re- ready to pastor until you've been in prison for three years. Then you're ready to pastor. I'm not signing up for that. I just want you all to know that. Okay? that but that's, that's the norm. Um, once you've been in prison, you're kind of ready to lead a church. Because you understand what life's really about. That's humbling. Okay, so the condition, back to my outline from the last several weeks... Remember, the Beatitudes have a condition, blessed are something, and then a promise, theirs is something. They have something. They will be something. So back to the condition, it's the word makarios. You've seen it many, many times in this series. Blessed, 
It's not happy. Happy is a very poor translation. Maybe in Jesus' day it meant different, but it's so cheap and market-based or football season-based or whatever-based that happiness is real relative. Um, it, is, it is that fullness of joy and contentment that comes from a reality that doesn't change. It's the shalom we talked about the last two weeks. It's this awareness of the kingdom that really isn't gonna change. If the Romans go crazy in, in our land that we're occupied or if, if I get cancer tomorrow or something, I'm, I'm still gonna be blessed. It isn't based on what's going on around me. And again, in this list we've read for this last several weeks, Jesus never mentions anything financial or material that makes you blessed, not one. It's all a state of, it's all a condition of living before God and a state of thinking that brings the blessedness. It is not about whether you're wealthy or not wealthy or can retire, can't retire or have kids that make good grades or kids that don't make good grades. None of that is brought into play because it's all, that's all superficial compared to the kingdom. It doesn't have any life in it ultimately. Blessed Makarios, the condition this time are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Now, some of us, when we get in trouble, we think we're being persecuted. I got pulled over speeding, I got a ticket, I'm being persecuted. No, you're speeding. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's good that he put persecuted for righteousness. Some of us have been persecuted for other things, and you probably deserve the persecution. I know I did. Had a kid here at ACF. This is definite proof we're communicating well at Austin Christian Fellowship. Kid came home from school and told an elder recently, I don't need to do homework anymore. It's a Genesis 3 thing. <laughs> no homework in heaven. Just telling you. So why should I have to do it now? That's a good kid right there. Dad said, do your homework. And you're grounded. <laughs> the word to persecute means to chase. Just means to chase. I imagine in that crowd on that hilltop, there had been some people who had been chased by the Romans. It, it, it evolves into a religious pursuit of those with a religion that the pursuer finds offensive. Now, persecution does not have to be religious. It can be ethnic. It can be based on geography. It can be based on ethnicity. But most often, it's an ethnicity that comes with a religious prowess, a religious certainty, a religious leaning or bent, and that typically offends the, the one persecuting, is offended by it, doesn't like it, and ceases to put it away or put it down or put it back. So that's what leads to the chase. It is a persecution because those who are persecuted believe there's something right that's not negotiable. Persecuted for the sake of, remember he doesn't say here, he says later on, but he says here in this verse, for, didn't say from, for Jesus' name, he says it later, but he says in this case, for what's right. Persecuted for what's good and true. And to those who are Christ followers, kingdom people, there is a right. It's not relative. Right is not relative in culture. There is a right. There is what is righteous and there is what is unrighteous. And what is righteous is summed up in a person. Jesus. Now, the thing about persecution is so curious, and it's, it's implied here in the original language, it's called a permissive passive. 
the verb tense, it's a passive, which means the, those who are persecuted are acted upon by an outside source, but the permissiveness of it means they allow the persecution. In other words, persecution in most places when it's religious is a choice, especially in Christianity. You can't, Christian, Christianity is not an ethnicity. You're not born Christian. Your skin color does not make you Christian. It's not based on a zip code or a geography or a country. There's all kinds of persecution around the world that goes on. Think of the whole persecution of the Jews in World War II. You're born Jewish. You're born, or you at some point choose to be into Judaism. But anytime your religion is a choice, you have the option to opt out of it. For many people, they're persecuted because of their skin color or because of their ethnicity. And that's not something they can get out of. The weird thing about Christians is the only way we know we're Christians, the only way the world knows we're Christians is by our confession and by our lifestyles. And if you don't want to get persecuted, you can just choose to stop confessing and stop living that way and you're probably going to be out of trouble. It's permissive. Isn't that weird? So blessed are those who allow themselves to be persecuted is what the, the literally verse, the verse says. So the entire book of Hebrews was written to people who were, had been Jews who had converted to Christianity and then trouble started and many of them are thinking about are already bailing, stopping the following of Christ and going back to Judaism because one was illegal Christianity and one was legal Judaism and they're like, we're losing our property, our families are going to jail, this isn't worth it, so we're gonna go back to Judaism. Hebrews is like, once you've tasted Jesus, you can't go back to something that doesn't have Jesus. That's, that's empty, and, but they, they were choosing because they could, if I can just not be Christian for a decade, I won't be persecuted. So it's, the weird thing about Christian persecution is you have to allow it. And with just a word or with just a confession, the other direction, you can be off the hook. So let me put a phrase on the screen. I, I hate to do this, but I needed to show you. The phrase is Caesar is Lord, gonna put it up there. I really don't like putting this on the screen because it feels demonic to me, but I'm gonna make a point. Three words, three simple words. Once a year, with a little bit of incense, would save your life. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. Jesus will like forgive that. So when Rome became the Roman Empire, which expanded from Britain to North Africa, I mean, huge. As the Roman Empire grew over the centuries, the, the pull became, we need, we need a central figure from all these different cultures, all these different worlds that they can relate to. And so eventually the emperor became a godlike figure. It wasn't original. And the emperors early on didn't like it. But eventually to, there was this requirement. Once a year, everybody in Rome has to go to a temple and make the confession, Caesar es curios, Lord. And you burn a little incense and you get a permit for the year to go do anything else you want to as long as it doesn't disrupt the peace. You can live any way you want to, worship any God you want to, but once a day, once a year, for just a second, you gotta go and make, burn the incense and say that phrase. And then you're off the hook. And the Christians wouldn't do it. Now I'm like, I mean, I mean come on, it's just, a, it's just a phrase, right? I mean, God knows in your heart you don't mean it, Right? But to the Christians, kurios, there's only one Lord. And it's not Caesar. This is so humbling to me. What would you do? Because if you don't, you're going to go to prison or you're going to be persecuted. Your kids are going to be separated from you. I mean, is it worth it? 
is Jesus worth that to you? So they would, they would, the thing was, look, just say it, burn the incense, and you're free for a year. And every once you do, you got to bite the bullet once a year, and you're fine. No, they wouldn't. And so that's the choosing to be persecuted. I can't say Caesar is Lord. It's not true. No offense, Caesar. I've only got one Lord, and it's not you. The resurrected Jew. Jesus is Lord. Caesar is something else. And so that thus came in the years after Jesus. Paul was executed in part of the persecution that came from several emperors, including Nero, but there was a fierce expulsion of Christians through the worst means possible. So why are we blessed if we're persecuted? Oh, let me list some things for you. It is, number one, a chance for you to demonstrate you love Jesus. It's a chance to, to prove you're loyal to Jesus. When, when that moment comes down, like, would you just sign here and look the other way for a minute? No, I really can't because I, it's, not, it's not just obedience. It's not just, it's but I really love him. And it won't do me any good to just deny him now. I really love him. And so I'm not going to deny what I love even for just an instant. I love Jesus. And so here's my chance to demonstrate my love for Jesus. And whatever comes, comes. They viewed it as a chance to demonstrate their love. Second, it puts us in really good company. My dad would say high cotton. High cotton is when you've had that bumper crop and you go to the marketplace and you get all this money for your cotton crop. High cotton is you're in really good company. And, and so Jesus says here in the latter verses, look, the prophets got persecuted. He says in John 15 and 14 and 16, I'm being persecuted. And if, if I'm persecuted, you're probably being persecuted. So the, the, the great news about being persecuted is you really are in a great company. And we're going to meet people all over, from, we're going to meet people in heaven from all over the globe and all over history who suffered significantly for their Christian faith and died in horrific ways. Think about the folks in the Colosseum who all had to do was say, okay, never mind, just kidding, Caesar's Lord, and they walked away from the mouths of the lions. But they chose not to. With their families, they'd walk out and face the lions. We're going to meet those folks in heaven. So if i got to take a little bump now and then, I'm, I'm in real high cotton because of persecution. Third, it's a chance to rise to the occasion. If you're being, if someone is forcing your hand, something really important is going on. And I need you to think about that. I mean, if you're in school and there's, there's a, a chance to kind of go with the way of the crowd or not go the way of the crowd and, and maybe stand for Christ, then there's, there's the rising to the occasion there matters. When my, we had my son's rehearsal dinner. Uh, I didn't know the story until some of his friends told it. A bunch of his guys and roommates all went to see some movie there in, in Waco where they were going to school at Baylor. And they got about two... 20 minutes into it, my son was like, I'm not watching this movie. And he walked home. And the rest of the guys were like, well, that was pretty impressive. They all stayed. They couldn't care less. But he was like, I'm not, I'm not going to see that. He walked home by himself. Just fine with it. I'm, I'm okay spending Friday night by myself, but I'm not doing that in my brain. That's just a chance to rise to the occasion. So when you're being, when your hand's being forced on something, Hey, we know this is unethical here in business, 
but you're gonna make millions, so just shut up and look the other way, and here we go. So we're gonna, we're gonna shave some numbers, or we're gonna cheat a little bit, or we're not gonna tell the IRS, your CPA is going, look, if you'll just be quiet about this, your tax is gonna go from this to this, so shh. Well, that's a chance to rise to the occasion. And say, I'd rather get the attention of the government and be honest about my taxes than have you tell me I gotta break the law. No, I'm not gonna break the law. Number four, it encourages those who come after us. Boy, it does me. I'll, I'll read about some of the men and women who've taken stands in history and are taking stands now. And I'm like, number one, I don't have problems. Number two, what would I do? If, I, if they can do it, I can do it. ACF, Friends Online, we have a whole generation of young people, some in the room today, young adults, looking at us, trying to figure out if Jesus is worth standing for. I mean, if he really, if he really matters in the long run, and how you spend your money, and how you treat your enemies, and how you respond to opposition. Is Jesus, does he have any street value? Or is it just a Sunday thing and then it's over? And my generation, for some of us, our generation, are being closely watched. And this is a chance to inspire some following for the next generation that Jesus is not a club. Jesus is not your buddy. He's King of Kings and he's Lord of Lords. And finally, it brings intimacy with Jesus. The scriptures talk about a level of closeness to the Savior that only comes through suffering. It can be suffering through an illness. It can be, I know people who've gone through chronic illnesses and, and nursed loved ones through chronic illnesses. And they talk about there's just a level of Jesus that you don't get unless you're either sacrificing or suffering. And we don't have to sacrifice, we don't have to suffer much here unless you have some kind of illness, so we'll sacrifice and get there. But there's this, there's a level of closeness to Jesus that you just don't get unless you've been through the ringer a bit. And some of, you, some of you can raise your hand and testify to that. That, yeah, but when we went through this, man, he was sweet. Persecution is one of those. So Jesus says, curiously, rejoice in verse 12. Yeah, really? No, rejoice. Great is your reward in heaven. That's a shift of perspective, huh? All right, so why? Why is the church sometimes, why, why are you gonna get in trouble if you try to be a peacemaker? Why are we persecuted? Well, one is because you're gonna represent what is true right. You're gonna say right is not up to a vote, right is just what it is. Right is right, and that's gonna offend some people. And your efforts to make peace will, will put some light on things that people will just as soon not have light put on them. 
And so Jesus, like, if you're, if you're living the beatitude kind of life and you're seeking the kingdom, there's going to be a moment where maybe you end up on the wrong side of a conversation and you just got to be okay with that. It's, he said, it's almost inevitable. That's why you're blessed. So one of my favorite scholars I love to read is a Scottish guy named William Barclay. It's great, great stuff. Barclay's so good on background to the scriptures. And his quote on persecution and why I thought was worth sharing, I'll put it on the screen. Uh, he lived in, like, born 1907, died, I think, 1978. Former century guy, Scottish guy, funny, great sense of humor. So as Barclay says of this passage, there remains only one question to ask. Why is this persecution so inevitable? There we go. Why is this persecution so inevitable? It is inevitable because the church, when it really is the church, is bound like required to be the conscience of the nation and the conscience, conscience of society. Where there is good, the church must praise. Where there is evil, the church must condemn. And inevitably, some people will try to silence the troublesome voices of conscience. Now listen, he says, it is not the duty of individual Christians to habitually find fault, to criticize or condemn, and I would add, especially on Facebook, some people think it's their duty to point out everybody else's failures. They're walking around with a telephone pole in their eye, killing people with that telephone pole, and they're judging the fact that you've got an eyelash out of place. Anyway. But it says, but it may well be that every action is a silent condemnation of the unchristian lives of others. And they will not escape their hatred. Sometimes just who you are is going to bug people because they will be convicted by what they know you believe and how you stand. You might find your invitation to Christmas party list getting shorter. Does somebody just say amen? That's funny. <laughs> Last year, Savannah Leffler was the valedictorian at John Glenn High School in Michigan. And when she submitted the copy of her speech to the faculty, which included saying, I believe the highest purpose of life is to live and be devoted to Jesus Christ, they told her she had to change her speech. It was offensive. Now, it was not hers. She was not representing the school. She was giving her valedictorian speech. This is what I believe. But the administration shot back and said, it's too Christian, change it. Or we're going to pick a different valedictorian. It's offensive to say the purpose of life is to follow Christ. What about all those folks who aren't following Christ? It's still the purpose of life. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is. Well, I'm in hot water, so let's keep on moving here. Um, the promise. There is the condition, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. So what's the promise? This is so good, and this is the bookend. I've got goosebumps. We've got to the bookend moment. It's Jesus finishes the Beatitudes here. Theirs is the kingdom. So he starts off in verse 3. Blessed are those impoverished spiritually before God. Theirs is the kingdom. Now he comes back after all this process. When you're persecuted because of how you live and how you walk and how you talk and you're trying to be a peacemaker, we're back to yours is the kingdom. So it's a circle. And oh, by the way, guess what happens when you're broken? When you're broken, 
it makes you poor before God and you start mourning all over again and the whole process starts to go back to verse three. It's a cycle. It's not a line, it's a cycle. Round and round we go. So the beautiful thing is you've got a promise that yours is the kingdom no matter what. So he's basically saying, and here's what it means to have the kingdom. Whatever you may lose in this life is replaced infinitely with the blessings of the kingdom. You inherit the earth. You have the presence of God. You have joy. You have forgiveness of sins. You have power. You have authority. You have the ability to forgive and be forgiven. You have purpose. You see the future. You see eternity. You have a place in heaven. All that's part of the kingdom. You have ability to live not according to the cultural drumbeat right now and to live in, with an others-centered mindset instead of a me-centered mindset. That's all part of the kingdom. So he basically says, whatever they take away from you, whatever the persecutors take away from you, when you have the kingdom, it's infinitely better anyway. That's why Jesus is, is able to go to a cross and while they're executing him, pray for those executing him. Because they can't take from him what the kingdom is. They can't, they can't persecute that out of you. They may put you in jail. They may limit your rights. And persecution today might look like that. It might look like you're alone at the water cooler. It might look like, hey, if you're not willing to sign on the dotted line that this is true, then you're going to lose your job or be demoted. It might mean you're left out of some activities at school. It might mean you're not selected for certain opportunities because you, you, of how you feel or what you say about Jesus. I'm not trying to be offensive, but this is who I am. That's pretty much persecution for us right now. But it's real. It's real. But Jesus says, look, whatever, you, whatever that costs you, the kingdom is so much better anyway. So write it out. So here's my bottom line. Let me invite the worship team out. Y'all come out, guys. Um, here's the bottom line. There may indeed be a high cost for following Jesus. But there's an even greater reward. You guys agree with that? Did they hear me? Hey, kids. Come on. They're playing hard to get this morning. There goes the moment. There might be a high cost for following Jesus, but I'll say it two ways. There's a higher cost for not following Jesus. And there's a greater reward for following Jesus. So if persecution comes, and again, in our context, I mean, really, can we even call it persecution? Maybe, but... Whatever it costs you, the kingdom is better. So they're going to sing a song over us here in just a second that you'll recognize part of. God is on his throne. And it's a bit of a wrapping up of where we've been the last several weeks. And to those of you who do face genuine dining room table persecution, like when you're with your family, it can be hard. Or workplace persecution or school persecution. Neighborhood person. When, when you're in that, you need to remember what they're going to sing to you. But the question I've 
put to me this week is, am I persecutable? There was a really, really bad song in the 70s. It was so bad. It was called, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And he'd go, evidence, evidence. Would there be enough evidence? It was his worst song ever. Maybe I should close with that. Can we close with that? No? Okay. Evidence. It didn't motivate me to want to follow Jesus, I can tell you that. But am I willing, am I willing to, be, to live a kind of life that doesn't bend, doesn't condemn, doesn't shoot, doesn't cancel, doesn't bully? But I'm not going to say Caesar is Lord, even if it's just for a minute, once a year, to get me a pass the rest of the year. I'm not going to say Caesar's Lord. He's not. Am I, am, I, am I okay with that? That whatever, I've got one Lord and I'm going to live for him regardless of what's going on around me. That's kind of the question that this final beatitude asks. Are you okay with that? I want you to wrestle with that while you hear in the background that God is indeed on his throne.